0: It's the Jenny Hatch Show, and I am your host. That beautiful jingle that you just heard was written by my son, Benjamin, who's our youngest, and a singer and songwriter. I asked him to write a little jingle for me. He said yes. I'm so proud of him, and I love him so much. Today's show is going to focus on provident living. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you about how to change your thinking to be more proactive as an individual and as a member of a family. And especially if you're a parent as a mom or a dad providing for your kids. So I grew up in a prepper family. My parents lived in Detroit during the 1967 uh Riots, they took place about 20 minutes from where my parents lived in Berkeley, Michigan. And this had a profound effect on my mom and dad. And they changed their thinking in regards to providing for their family because of what they lived through. The three days that they were on lockdown in their home, my mom was pregnant with me. And she told me that you just don't know how it feels until you go through something like that. And so she didn't even really try to describe it to me. It was just like horror to have so much um, mobbing and burning going on within minutes of where she was living. So after that, our family culture changed. Our family Um, goals changed, and my parents started living incredibly proactively. First and foremost was security. My dad always had loaded guns in the house, and they were not under lock and key. They were just in the little linen closet right inside of our laundry room and ready to go. Um, My parents immediately started purchasing short and long-term food storage. And they became much more proactive about storing survival supplies and camping gear so that should we need to evacuate somehow, uh, somewhere, they would have the supplies necessary to provide shelter. So my dad bought a big old-fashioned canvas tent and we started camping every summer. And eventually, you know, we had just so much camping equipment. That again, this was just part of our family culture to go off someplace in Michigan to a state park or whatever and do a couple days of camping to just learn how to cook over a open fire and put our skills to the test. And we also use those trips to have some rest and recreation. My mom told me that up until that point when I was about seven years old, She really didn't think a whole lot about nutrition. Um, She said we ate the traditional American diet, which was everything was refined, lots and lots of sugar, uh, macaroni and cheese, the whole, you know, cold cereal thing, and um, a little bit of fresh fruits and vegetables, but not really in any serious way. And then when I was seven, I had eczema so bad, head to toe, that I was just a walking rash and she wanted to just figure it out, how to help me. And it was during this time that my grandma had been given six months to live, my maternal grandmother, so my mom and her mom started investigating nutritional answers for chronic disease. And so my grandmother read a book called There is a Cure for Arthritis that she picked up at a little local bookshop. And instead of dying in six months, she regenerated her body with whole foods nutrition, juicing and cutting out a lot of sugar and just being more proactive, taking food supplements and vitamins and owning her diet. She threw away the wheelchair and... Um, got healthy for the last five years of her life. She lived an incredibly dynamic life and eventually died of an aneurysm that my mom always felt resulted from 25 years of cortisone use for her arthritis. So I got to get a drink. So my mom, when I was seven, overhauled our diet. My parents had put in a supply of whole grains, beans, seeds, honey, powdered milk as food storage. But we really hadn't eaten it up to that point. And being highly influenced by her own mother and some women at church or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, members of the church who were um, very much into whole foods nutrition, whole wheat, whole grains, rice, beans, eating just a more natural diet. And my mom said these families had the most beautiful, healthy children that she had ever seen. And so she was really influenced by these ladies in her ward. Uh, she decided to throw all the sugar out of her house and start cooking, really cooking from scratch. My parents bought a grain mill, and she was just always grinding fresh grains and baking bread. And um, she healed my skin. It healed me from the eczema. And uh, my mom and my grandma together entered the most dynamic years of their life, proactive, when I was seven years old. And then for the next five years, I watched... The two most influential women in my personal life um, set this model for how to think and how to be, instead of thinking of yourself as a patient or a victim, um, kind of pushing medicine aside and saying, I'm going to do this myself. At that point, my mom had seven children and she um, was sick with varicose veins exhaustion and just really kind of struggling with her health and was kind of done having her babies. And she got into dance aerobics and a couple times a week went and danced in this new form of exercise. And um, then when I was 12, she conceived her last child, my little baby sister. And again, I watched her do a very proactive pregnancy with my little sister and it was her healthiest pregnancy and my little sister was incredibly healthy she also had a very fast natural birth at the hospital and she always attributed all these miracles giving birth as an older mom to good nutrition and exercise so again modeling for me what proactive provident living looks like and provident living is so much more than prepping so much more than just food storage Um, it really is approaching life with a focused sense of self-reliance that I'm not going to look to a doctor or a nutritionist or a dentist or any professional to teach me or show me how to live my life, I'm going to use my good common sense and proactive research and then put it to the test, not get out of the world of theory and wouldn't it be nice and actually do the work. It's a lot of work to eat this way and think this way. And people are so reluctant to change their habits. And if you can't change them for yourself, you're just caught in your own food addictions and you don't want to change and you think it's stupid or too expensive or whatever reason you're thinking, I don't want to do this. Then if you're planning to be a parent of children, do it for your kids. And the reason why is because your children will be so much healthier. If you will take the time to truly educate yourself on what is necessary for a mom to eat while she's pregnant and breastfeeding and what you can do to help your husband and kids be proactive in their own eating habits and exercise habits, these things are formed, these patterns are formed in childhood and they can carry you forward into your life and help you to live a more healthy and beautiful life than if you just kind of keep eating all the packaged crap and hoping for the best. So I've shared a couple of links on here to my blog. I wrote a book called Growing Up Prepper. I haven't finished it yet. I'll probably never finish it, but several chapters of it are on my Substack, stack. And uh, you can click over to that. So my suggestions for conservation, and this is conserving not only for the good of the government, for for the environment, and because we want to take care of our earth and do better with our use of goods and services, this is also better for the environment of your pocketbook, your economic viability, your ability to have a family if all young moms who wanted to, to get pregnant and have kids would be proactive about some of these things, you don't even have to do all of them, just some of them. The the wealth that would be generated for individual families, and I think of individual families as small business owners. Each family is its own entity, and it should be run well run like a small business. Thinking about, Economics and how to save and how to plan for future events like school and weddings and uh, trips and whatever you want to do with your life. Provident living is about planning for future things. And so, if parents will commit to doing just some of these things, um, all of that contributes to the viability. And the economic well-being of a family. And part of that is determining how much debt you're going to assume when purchasing a home or getting educated or starting a business. Part of that is recognizing that that debt can sink you like nothing else. And the other huge side of living providently is that when you do these things, you don't have those crazy medical bills. The preemie baby. Prematurity is preventable. Moms don't like to hear that, but it's true. It's preventable. Preemie babies are so expensive. Sickly babies are so expensive. You never dig out of that pit. It's just the financial side of it is so devastating that mom should be motivated just by that to do some of these proactive things. But then if you have a sickly child with a chronic developmental disability or allergies or autoimmune diseases, again, the costs never end. When I think about how much money uh, my family and then my husband and I have spent on my chronic Autoimmune diseases, it's staggering to think about the, the tens of thousands of dollars that have spent over the years to provide me with medications, all of the creams for my skin when I would have eczema breakouts, all of the um, costs associated with having lung disease. And this is not just medication, but I also use a lot of alternative healing and therapy and doctors to help me with my lung capacity and lung function and i believe my chronic autoimmune disease is stemmed from my childhood vaccines that's just what i feel and what i know about my body i was born healthy these things were done to me by vaccinations to that end i didn't i chose not to vaccinate my kids and what do you know all five of them None of them have the chronic autoimmune diseases that I have struggled with my whole life or the mental illness that is often tied to the use of vaccinations in some kids. So here are my suggestions for conservation. Number one, give birth at home. Number two, breastfeed your babies. Number three, cook from scratch. And what scratch cooking is, is you buy ingredients you don't buy prepackaged lasagnas and soups and homemade and store-bought bread you are cooking from scratch using flour and eggs and milk and vegetables and a little bit of meat and rice and beans and you put those all together in meals that are cooked homemade number four is use cloth diapers and i always encourage people to set a goal for using them about half of the time I like to use plastic diapers when I went to church or if we went on a trip or camping or on a vacation. It's so much more convenient, of course, than using cloth diapers. But when we were home, living our day-to-day life, most of the time we used cloth diapers, which meant I washed them myself. Uh, Use cloth menstrual pads. Again, same reasons and about half the time is a great goal. Learn how to live with one car. using the bus and bikes to make up the difference. This was possible where we lived in Louisville, Colorado, because our home was right on the bus line. And Boulder, Colorado has more bike paths than any place on the planet, except maybe Holland. And so we were constantly using our bikes. And when I needed to use the car, I just used it at night. If my husband had it at work, I would go grocery shopping or get up early in the morning and do what I needed to do before he left for work became easier to live with one car once he started working from home but he, um, he most of the time especially when we had young kids he he had the car. There was one time when our car died and we said, well let's see how long we can go without a car and this was a great experiment we did during the the summer that my fourth child was a, a I think he was a toddler. so I had four little kids and we spent probably four solid months living without a car just to see if we could do it and it was doable up until it got cold and there was one day i was standing out in front of king supers with bags and bags of groceries and a couple little kids waiting for the bus and it was cold windy and um that was the day i was like you know what i want my car back so we went ahead and bought another car we always bought used cars that helped with the cost And um, we tried not to use it too much. Buy clothing at thrift stores and garage sales, especially shoes, coats, and jeans. This was a pattern for a life that I am happy to report. My own children have mostly continued. And I anticipate as their children start to come in mass that they will, again, (laughs) use mom's thrifty ways to... To clothe their children, um, I also spend a lot of money at thrift stores on things like glass and ceramic dishes. I like to eat off of china or you know fake china. I don't like plastic utensils and and dishes. I I just have a bias against them. It's definitely easier when you have toddlers to have a sippy cup that's plastic, but for the most part, we use glassware for our drinks and. The ceramics and china for our plates. And if you buy them at thrift stores, they're incredibly inexpensive. And that made it so if they broke or were, you know, somehow chipped, it wasn't as big of a deal because you could just go get another one for a buck at the thrift store. Plant a garden, even if it's just a small kitchen herb garden. Uh, I was only able to plant a big garden during the years that we lived in Utah because we actually had a backyard three years but um, we've always lived in small spaces our townhouse in Louisville and now a apartment condo in Longmont Colorado where I tried to grow little herb gardens these past few years but I've just been too sick to take care of plants but if you can plant a garden number nine is store grains and beans and use them for meals three days a week as you're transitioning from... Junk food, restaurant food, takeout food, and prepackaged meals. Give yourself the grace of not having to cook everything from scratch. And just two or three times a week, cook a home-cooked meal to start changing the patterns of your life. What you will quickly discover is that you enjoy the home-cooked meals so much more than the other stuff that you will just naturally evolve to cooking more of your meals from scratch at our house. We still cook probably about four hearty meals a week from scratch. And then I do double uh, recipes. So I have leftovers and we will freeze or tuck in the fridge, the leftovers and use them for lunches and other meals. So I don't even cook seven times a week, major meals. I only do it about four times a week. Sometimes my daughter who lives with us, she's 34. Sometimes she will cook one or two meals a week that we will share. But um, most of our baking revolves around baking bread, muffins, making waffles and pancakes. And uh, we do a lot of muffins. And the baking is also um, a huge component in provident living because you save so much money when you bake that loaf of bread. You know, a good hearty whole grain bread loaf from like Great Harvest, of the bread company, or um, the artisanal breads that you get at the grocery store, a loaf of that bread can cost between 5 and $10. You can make it at home for less than a buck. And, you know, the economics of that are just so self-evident. And you can also know that your grains were ground fresh that day. Any seeds or other components of the bread you put in, you know where they've sourced. And there's just something really satisfying about doing your own daily bread. So I challenge you to take on the. It is hard to do this work. And one of the things I also did as I came through these last 30 years is I limited myself to only learning one new skill per year so I didn't get overwhelmed. What I would do is I would buy a new kitchen tool, a juicer or something, pasta maker, and I would experiment adding that other element into my weekly work. And this past year, the tool I bought was a tortilla press. I'd never made my own tortillas, so I bought a little. $15 ceramic uh, tortilla press and made my own tortillas a couple times this year. And um, so that's an example of just gradually learning new skills. I still have so much to learn, but I feel like, you know, we're, we're making progress in this thing. Um, use environmentally safe cleaners to wash your clothes and your dishes. Obviously, these are better for the environment. Most pollution in America comes from households, despite what you may think. It doesn't come from those nasty, big, toxic corporations as much as it comes from consumers using their bleaches and their heavy-duty cleaners. And, uh, you know, there's just so much pollution generated by the chemical cleaners. It's staggering. Eleven is go on vacation within an hour's drive of your home. We did this when our kids were little, just because of economic necessity. But, and we live in a part of the country where other people come for vacations. So that was a blessing too. But Estes Park was our go-to place when our kids were little. We'd go up there and go camping at Rocky Mountain National Park and Jellystone Park. We had so much fun doing these camping trips. We went to a lot of the state parks, Golden Gate Park. And sometimes we'd just go for a hike up in... uh, You know, we'd have a one-day vacation, go for a hike. Now, I'm not a hiker because I have lung issues. I'd stay down at Chautauqua Park with the babies while my husband took the big big kids on a hike, and we'd have a picnic. And this was our pattern, was to just stay local, stay close. Once in a while, we took a trip to Utah to visit my husband's family, or we'd go back east to have a reunion with my family. Once we took a trip to Detroit, I wanted to be at the dedication for the Detroit Temple. So that was, that was our big trip when my fourth child was a baby. But most of the time we stayed in Colorado. We stayed home. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot to spend on vacations, but we still had a time to go and renew ourselves with, with some good fun, fun times. And we created good memories for the kids. When my daughter was in competitive gymnastics, she had uh, gymnastics meets all over the state. And so we would do fun things around that we would get a hotel for one night and take the whole family and stay at the hotel the night before and then go to the meet and also created wonderful memories. And then when my kids were involved in soccer and especially Ben with playing with his soccer club, when he was in middle school, same thing, family trips, let's all go cheer each other on at our events. And uh, I was amazed how many times we showed up for certain things and we were the only ones who had, who had made that trip. And I think a lot of people were just busy and moms and dads working. And so maybe they didn't have the leisure to do that. My husband working from home definitely made it more possible. But uh, we love doing those trips to uh, to be there in the stands cheering our teams on. So rethink vacationing. I know people have really gotten into staycations and local vacations because of COVID. And a lot of families have gotten into RVing and uh, camping. So it's definitely more of a trend, but um, you can be so creative in how you save, save money with your vacationing. Number 12 is live by the Mormon motto. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. And we've really tried to do that. And 13 is home-based musical entertainment. There were so many times when the kids were little when we would just, on a Friday night, put on some music and just dance in the living room. Have a little dance party, maybe watch a movie together, do some singing around the piano or with the guitar. And these are some of my favorite memories. Once in a while, we'd take all of our children to see a show we went and saw Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Arvada Center. This is a theater that was kind of in between the Buell and Denver, which is the highest-priced musical theater venue. And I went, We went to a lot of the high school shows, too, middle school theater productions. But once I, we took him to, to the Arvada Center, spent the money as a Christmas present to see Joseph, I wanted him to see it more professionally produced than high school level. And then uh, when we would be at home in uh, Cedar City, which is the home home of the Utah Shakespeare Festival, quite often we could get free tickets from somebody in the family. And then we'd just have to buy a few more for the rest of the kids, and we would go see a Shakespeare show. And uh, this company does not only Shakespeare shows, but they also produce some high-quality stage plays and musicals. And so we got to see some very highly professionally produced shows. At, uh, at Utah Shakes around our family reunions. Most of the time when we were having a recreation type thing, it was tied to connecting with members of our family, and that was also joyful to gather and to let the cousins spend some quality time together and just hang out. So these are the uh, ideas I have for Provident Living and um, if you'll click over to the links that I've shared on my call-in page, there's a link to my book, Growing Up Prepper, on my Substack, There are resources for emergency childbirth, and this is a blog post I put together that contains links to all sorts of resources for you to purchase supplies like an obstetrics kit or a birth tub or if you want to have some peer mentoring from other women who've gotten into home birth, or you'd like to take an online course prepared by midwives and other independent birth educators on how to uh, have a home birth with just your family, those links are also there. So um, check that out if you're planning to have a family. Um, I also shared links to many of the posts that I've written on my blog around Provident Living, so you can go peruse that at your leisure. I want to challenge you that the scriptures have prophesied that these end times are going to be incredibly chaotic. We've seen some of that chaos, especially the last couple of years. What the future holds, I don't know. Jesus certainly warned us in Matthew chapter 24, that things were going to be a little nuts before he returned the second time. And so, if you think that the infrastructures that currently exist in America and around the world for education and healthcare are always going to be available for you to tap into, I would ask you to check your privileges, check your assumptions. Society is incredibly fragile, and in my own faith in the Book of Mormon, there is a story of a nation that went from being a solid republic to, within six years, descending into tribalism. Everything collapsed. And it's a cautionary tale for all of us to recognize that this is the historical pattern that the infrastructures that are in place to provide you with food and clothing and shelter and education and entertainment are wobbly, fragile and can collapse. And whether they collapse because everybody's sick with a mutating pandemic that is gain of functioning its way into our health and our bodies. Or it's because the government has over de- overextended itself with debt and everything collapses. Or the medical infrastructure is not sustainable. Or the education establishment has gone completely bananas. <laughs> Whatever reason... There is for societal collapse. History has taught us that these things happen. And so part of provident living is just giving a nod to all of that. It may not happen. I don't know how, how these next few years are going to go. We may just have a complete renewal here in America and around the world and step out and live happy, beautiful, productive lives. Or, you know, things could get more crazy. And so it's to the end of speaking to your heart as an individual or as a parent or as someone who wants to be a mother or a father. It is under that umbrella that I would share with you these provident living skills. It used to be said about the American farmer that <clears throat> with the trade, you know, perhaps being a blacksmith or what have you, with a trade, The American farmer could produce everything or barter for everything they needed from their own efforts. And the only reason he needed to have a little bit of cash in hand was to pay the midwife every time a baby showed up. The midwife cost was literally the only thing that he had to put out a little bit of cash for. The rest he could trade, he could grow himself, he could cultivate the land, raise some animals, harvest, build, chop. I know many farmers worked as coopers making barrels. Uh, Some grew crops for sale, some engaged in all sorts of um, home crafts, making their own food and sharing it with their neighbors. Honey production beer production, and that before the American culture turned into a, uh, you know, the farmers leaving their, especially their kids, leaving their farms to go to the cities and get involved in manufacturing, which is not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but it does make it so that you need to buy your food, you need to buy your clothes while you work in those factories, um... You know, the self-reliance aspect gets somewhat lost when that migration happens to the cities. There is a huge back-to-the-land movement happening right now. Biggest Little Farm is one of the best documentaries to watch if you want to see one urban couple learn the skills of homesteading and growing their own food and, um, and then creating a business where they could sell the fruit that they grew and the eggs and the various products being produced on their 200 acre farm. It's, it's one of the most beautifully filmed and put together documentaries I have ever seen. The the film itself is a work of art, but um, if you want to have some inspiration as a young person, as a young couple, watch that movie together. I watched it and then went out and told my husband, you have to come in here and watch this with me right now. He turned off his football game and came in and watched. I cried as I watched this. I told all my kids, you have to watch this movie. It's so good. And some of them did and they loved it. So um, use the models of urban people going to the land and seeing what they can wrestle out of it. Um, Ballerina Farm on Instagram. That's a young couple who is inspiring millions right now with their outreach on the internet, sharing what they're doing with their animals, and then the small business they're running from their home, seven children. I personally think this is the future, this marrying of technology and um, thinking outside of the box They FedEx their products out to their customers in boxes where the food has been freeze-dried and the food is guaranteed to arrive next day or within a day or two. And it shows up frozen to the consumers. Who does this? Well, this young couple's doing it and they're revolutionizing food production. And uh, the, the Instagram is just a joy to follow. Another great blogger is Provident Homemaker. And this is um, Brandy Simpson, I believe her name is. And her... um, I'm going to click over so I make sure I give you the right address. Is that her name? Provident. can't remember. Anyway, she's one of the mom bloggers who... Her husband was out of work after the economy collapsed around housing he had been a real estate agent in vegas and um she didn't have any income but had all these kids and so they had to live on their mormon they had to live off their food storage for a year and then she um she just started this blog sharing how she was homeschooling and still home birthing but she um She was making it work without, without having an income. And, um, I'm still looking for her actual address so I can make sure I get it right. Prudent Homemaker. Yeah, that's what it is. Prudent Homemaker. Prudent, the com. Brandy Simper. Really great follow on Instagram and on her blog because, uh, They went through this crisis time together, and sometimes the crisis you go through as a family is not necessarily because of what's happening in the government or in medicine or education. Sometimes the crisis is just a loss of a job. We went through that when my husband was laid off. She went through it when her husband just didn't have any work. And instead of collapsing in on yourself and turning to the government to solve all your problems, our family and Brandy's family Again, thinking outside of the box, using street smarts and putting these principles to the test. They survived. They didn't lose their home. They were able to make it through to her husband being employed again. Nobody starved. And, and she has one of the most beautiful, creative spaces in her backyard with this glorious garden. And she is just constantly working to provide for her family, clothing, food, education. Sometimes the kids will go to school. Sometimes they're home. And I think she's had two more kids. I think she has nine kids now. So these models exist out there for the young families. You just just have to go find them. Go look for trad wife, traditional wife, blogs and websites, uh, Provident Living sites. And you'll find a network of all these young homemakers who are doing the very things that I encourage people to do, to live providently. And if only to use that for inspiration, you know, go go look for that extra help to motivate you to step out and not be a victim and not be dependent on the government, not be dependent on anyone to provide for you or for your family. The, the mental benefits of living this lifestyle style are never ending. You feel good about yourself. When you give birth to that full-term, healthy, beautiful baby and then are able to generate the milk necessary to feed it, there is no high like watching a child thrive on your milk. I believe it's the ultimate high, hormonally, emotionally, spiritually, that a mother can experience. And when I think about the feminist movement, you know, yanking that away from the young homemakers in the early part of the 20th century, these women were literally seduced away from their babies. They held up baby formula and baby bottles as the symbol of their liberation. That's literally what they said on their posters and in their propaganda. This baby bottle is going to free us from the drudgery of motherhood. It was all negative. It was all evil. We were just forced and compelled to stay home and actually feed our own families. They wanted to be liberated from that. And how sad that they were so naive and stupid to believe this level of propaganda. It guts me when I think about the ill health and the lack of connection, bonding that mothers missed out on with their babies. It just makes me so sad. And I'm so grateful my own mom didn't fall into that pit of hell. And she breastfed all of her eight babies because, again, she was modeling for me, modeling for us, me and my three sisters, my brothers, that this was the best thing for the baby. And during the 60s, the propaganda around this was so intense. It was very, very few mothers who actually fed their own babies with their own milk. So again, I hope that this has helped. I don't want you to feel judged. I don't want you to feel condemned by my words. I want you to feel empowered and motivated. And I really don't want you to feel afraid. You know, there's so many in the prepper community who think it's appropriate to use fear and terror tactics to bully people into buying their products And storing food, that is not what I'm about at all. And frankly, it's not Heavenly Father's way. You know, Heavenly Father is so gentle. He doesn't call it prepping. He calls it provident living. And when you think about just being thoughtfully provident about your own efforts every day and your own hopes for having a family and raising a righteous healthy family. Um, Again, it's common sense. It's just a willingness to step out in life and say, I am going to do the things necessary to live a healthy life and create a better future for my kids, perhaps than what I had growing up. So these are the thoughts that I'd love to inspire you with, help you with, And I will leave you now with you are having a wonderful day.